We're in the fourth week of our message series for Lent called Seriously God. And in this series, we are examining obstacles that often keep people from taking God seriously or developing in faith and trust in Him. And so if we choose to lean into these problems, we may come to a greater appreciation for who God is and what He is doing in our lives. I mean, it really does sound paradoxical, but a gap in our understanding of God can actually draw us closer to Him. So today we're looking at why God seems to allow the wrong people to be in charge. But why does God allow corrupt people to gain power? How does God allow people to abuse their authority to, to have seats of power? Why does He let incompetent people be in charge? Now, no matter your political leanings, you probably have felt this recently. You wondered how God would allow that person to be elected president or congressman or senator. But does it have to just be in politics on a, such a large scale? You've probably seen it up close and personal. You may have wondered how God allows a teacher or a principal to stay in their position of authority because it's hurt your kid's school. I mean, you hear people say they should have retired long ago and, and you know, they make you and your life and your kid's life miserable. Or maybe it is a coach or someone who runs the rec league. I mean, the coach's kid gets all the playing time while your, while your kid rides the bench. Or maybe it is someone in your homeowner's association, you know, drunk with power. You just wish they'd just move on or maybe even move. It could be a problem with work. Your boss doesn't seem to listen to anyone. Or you've seen how your company's senior leadership is arrogant and they're driving all the good people away and you wonder when, is the, you know, when are they going to get what's coming to them? And then there is the church. You know, of all places, you would think that God would make sure that they're good leaders for the church, right? I mean, how does God allow people who abuse their authority to stay in power in the church? We look around and we see porch church leaders and wonder, you know, why isn't God doing something about this? You know, and really, this isn't a new problem. Maybe you've been hurt by a priest or by the church. I mean, I'm sure everyone in here has a story of feeling mistreated or disappointed by a priest. During Napoleon's reign, Napoleon told the Pope that he would destroy the church. To which the Pope responded, if 1,800 years of clergy haven't done it, I don't know how you have a chance. <laughs> you know, God's people dealing with the wrong leaders, a theme that's repeat, repeated all throughout the Bible. We see leaders who work against God's purposes and brings pain into people's lives. I mean, just all throughout Scripture. We see it clearly that in many different passages of Scripture, but especially we see that in this passage that we just read from the Exodus and the story of Moses. I mean, in this passage, we see the call of Moses and we see God's attitude when the wrong people are in charge. The Egyptian Pharaoh, the one who was in charge, became jealous of the Israelites who lived in Egypt. They lived in the best part of the land, so... Pharaoh took that part of the land for himself and then enslaved the people. And while the Israelites were enslaved, they 
continue to grow in numbers. And of course, that worried the Pharaoh because he was very fearful that they would join their enemies and that they would all rebel against him. So he ordered that all Israelite children be thrown into the Nile River, the male children, immediately after their birth and killed in hopes to keep the population down. And so we, we've all heard this story. If you've, been, if you've been in church or grown up in church, you've heard the story of Moses. You know, so Moses is born and his mother hides him for as long as she possibly can. And then she puts him in a wicker basket and sends him down the Nile River only to be found by the Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses is saved. And so he grows up in the home of the Pharaoh, but he knew what people he came from he saw how oppressed and enslaved they were. And so one day as a young man frustrated with this, he saw a, an Egyptian taskmaster beating another Hebrew. And so he kills him. And so Moses is forced to run and to leave. And while he's out in the desert, he starts a new life. He marries, he has a wife and children, and has this famous encounter with God that we read about this morning. The burning bush, we all know this story, I think. I mean, in this story, Moses would have been doing something he was doing every day, tending sheep. However, on this day, something different happens. God gets his attention with a burning bush. Now, that's not a surprising thing to see in the desert, I'm sure, that a, bur that a bush is burning. But one that's burning and not burning the bush up must have been something that's not in everyday, ordinary life. So it really did catch Moses' attention. So, you know, as you're going through your week this week, look for those things that are kind of out of the ordinary that's happening during your week. It may be God wanting you to stop and pay attention and to listen to him. And so we see that that's what Moses does. So Moses decided to go over and look at this burning bush. And as he came closer, God called out to him from the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And of course, Moses, as he's turning from his daily duties, turns and says, you know, here I am. So when Moses turns aside from those things and checks the bush out, that's when God speaks to him. It's often in those times when God speaks to us as well. So when we turn aside from all those, from the busyness of life, from daily concerns and issues that, that God does speak to us. So be paying attention to maybe how he may be speaking to you this week. So as we go on in our story, God told Moses to come, near, to come no closer. He told him to remove his sandals from his feet for the place where he was standing was holy ground. He said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses had heard of this God and knew who he was. And so he hid his face for he was afraid to, to look at God. And God claims that place where he was standing to be holy ground because God's presence is there. And notice that, you know, as Moses hides his face, it's a sign that he's afraid of God. He doesn't even want to look on him. Now, later in his life, Moses will develop a close intimacy with God. He will talk to him like he is a friend. But often on faith journeys, as they begin, we may fear God. We carry guilt or shame, or we just don't trust Him. And if that's where you are right now with God, or maybe you've stayed away from the church because of that, 
just know that you can grow in that relationship with God, just as Moses did. This is a very clear story of that. So Moses hides from God, but God still speaks to him. The Lord said, I've witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt. and I've heard their cry of complaint against the slave drivers, so I know what they are suffering. Therefore, I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and lead them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, these verses clear up, you know, some of our accusations that we bring to God when the wrong people are in charge. Often we think God doesn't notice what's going on. He doesn't understand the pain and affliction we have because he's not paying attention. If he were, he would change it. But God tells Moses that he sees the pain caused by the Pharaoh and the other Egyptian leaders. The Lord hears the cries and complaints against the slave drivers. He knows their suffering. And so as God hears the, the sufferings of the people at the hands of bad rulers, and bad bosses and bad leaders, he hears that in your life. And so then he, didn't, then he tells Moses that he has a plan to rescue the people from the slavery of Egypt. God's plan and will for his people is not slavery, but freedom. God's will is not for his people to, to be confined in Egypt, but to be in a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And in those days, I mean, that would have been the, the lap of luxury. And so as we have said, you know, don't confuse life not making sense with God not making sense. God's will for the Israelites was very different from what they were experiencing. So he had a plan. He had a plan to lead them out into a much better place. So don't mistake the pain and suffering of your current situation for God's will because God wants to lead you to a better place. And so for the next two chapters of Exodus, there's a dialogue back and forth between God and Moses in which Moses tells God that he's the wrong person. And God answers Moses' many concerns. Moses tells God, I'm a nobody. And God tells him he'll be with him. Moses tells him he doesn't really know God very well. So God reveals himself and tells Moses that he will get to know him and he'll get to know him better by working with him. Moses tells God that no one will believe him in his mission. God gives Moses signs that he can show to others that proves he's not crazy. Moses tells God that he's just not competent. God tells Moses he will give him the competence that he needs and send him the right people to lead. Finally, Moses says, I just don't want to do it. And God asks, and he asks God just to send somebody else. God get ang gets angry at Moses, which motivates him. So Moses finally does what God asks him to do. So the rest of the book of Exodus shows how God works with Moses and helps him grow into an incredible leader, one that has lasted for generations that we still talk about. And so I think there's a few takeaways we can get from this story. One is, is that God does see lousy leadership. He's not ignoring it. If you're under bad leadership right now, especially one that is oppressive, God wants to lead you to a better place. He may be teaching you some lessons along the way, that's true. 
But God's desire for you is not that you suffer under poor leadership. Cry out to God. Share your frustration and know and believe from this passage of Scripture that God hears you. Two, when you see problems of bad leadership, God might be calling you to step up and lead. One of the reasons that we have bad leadership is because good people don't step up. I've heard people say this. I've accused it myself. It's definitely not the only reason, but it is a factor. When the wrong people rush forward who want to be large and in charge and they want to tell others what to do, while good people, seemingly God's people, have false humility and say, not me, Lord. It's not my time. Then lastly, whatever leadership you have now, and we all have it, you need to be the best leader that God's calling you to be. And the way you do that is to stay near to him. Whether you're leading your household, a classroom, a company, if you're a coach of a team, if you are the president of your homeowners association, whatever it is, you need God to be a good leader. You need him in your life. And with that, you can really become the leader that God wants you to be, that others will follow by humbly relying on God.